0: It's the North Shore Vineyard Church Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Hey, today on the podcast we have part twenty-eight of our series in the Gospel of John. Today's message is entitled "Jesus, Light of the World." Today we're going to look at the meaning of Jesus's words. What it means to walk in the light. And how that touches our everyday life. Also, just a couple other things. Uh, Coming up, we've got Fall for Art on October 13th. We're turning our church into an art gallery. We'll have some live music, live painting, all kinds of great works of art. So come on out for that in downtown Covington. That'll be 6 to 9 p.m. on October 13th. And check us out on the web for any other activities that we're doing around the area. Thanks for listening. Let's head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington.
1: and even pop music, there is the introduction of the melody. And melodies have a powerful uh, way of, of helping us remember things, right? That, like, I don't even want to get started with the freecreditreport.com song. Um, there were nights where I'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with this loop of... I'm not even going to do it. Uh, that, that's like, that's musical terrorism, but for instance, I can I can hum a few bars of a couple of songs, and, and we'll see what what conjures up in your head. What about this? Dun dun da, dun da, dun da, dun 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 dun. What what picture do you have in your head right now? Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. Yes. How about this one? Dun dun da, dun dun dun. Wedding, Wedding march. Right. It, it's it's there are are images that that come up in your mind when you hear these melodies because. Melodies are, are really what capture the moment. It's the motif of the whole song, the, 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 the controlling thing. And, and in classical music, there will be the introduction of a melody at the beginning of the song. But, but all throughout the piece, even if the piece is, is 15 or 20 minutes long, even though the piece may go off and explore some other areas over here, go into minor things, it'll always come back to the melody And typically, in a good piece of music, that melody is building up to a crescendo. And finally, at the high point of the song, the the climax of the song, this melody is just going to be unveiled in all of its glory. Well, today, when I'm studying the the Gospel of John, I realize that there are certain phrases and words and ideas that, that are like a good melody in a song, like a good piece of music. And they keep coming back. And today... It is my hope that, that we will uh, hear the music, be moved by the music of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit once again in our hearts. The, the, the passage that we're going to hit today is one that, that echoes a melody that started out in the, in, the, in the beginning of the Gospel of John. But what's even more interesting is this is like a, a piece of music in a much greater score of music. Because these words are actually words that have been echoed from Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah, the Psalms. And today we're going to start out by looking at John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're in Jerusalem... In first century Jerusalem, and you've been at this week long festival, and it's the final day of the festival. You're you're just tired from partying and hanging out with people. There, it's just been nonstop, and you're finally coming to the closing hours of the festival, and it's growing dark. Imagine yourself standing up on the walls of Jerusalem and you're looking out uh, as, it, it, as the, the evening descends upon the place. And you see these little points of life, light off in the distance. And you see these lights moving and from here and there. And, and all of a sudden they begin to converge at the streets of the city. And, and they become a river of light that is streaming into the temple. And then you would go into the temple and see that, that in this place that everybody's gathered with their torches and their lamps, that there's, there's these 16 bowls of oil that are suspended from the ceiling that, that are lit up as part of the festival and they cast a glow on the limestone walls of the temple. Imagine what that must be like. But imagine in the midst of this scene of all, all this light Glowing everywhere that Jesus stands underneath these 16 bowls of oil on fire. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I say this because that's probably the way this scene worked out. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the opening of the last day of this festival of tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's a a part of the festival on that final day where the the priest would pour out oil and water around the altar and they would offer prayers. God, please send your rain. Let our crops be healed. Let us have a good a good harvest. And in the midst of that ceremony, Jesus gets up and says, does anybody thirsty come to me and have a drink? Jesus takes the the symbolism of of this festival and he says, Look, this is a great festival, but I am the substance of it. I'm the one that this festival is pointing to. So that starts off the day. And now we come to the closing. And and right at the point where they're lighting the the lamps, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, if you read throughout the the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament... Light is, is a word that is used to describe a lot of things. It's a pretty important thing. I mean, actually, one of the first verses in the Bible, the first act of creation, God says, let there be light. And there was light. But we also find in rabbinic literature, literature that the, the word light is used oftentimes as a, as a metaphor for the word of God. Actually, Psalm one nineteen one hundred five says, the, the, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So there's this this way that the word of God tends to illuminate things and and, and open up the way that we should go, that, that we're not walking in darkness. But but the, the, the confusion is cleared. Have you ever had that happen with the word of God? Sometimes like, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden there's a, a scripture that will illuminate things. And you all of a sudden you're like the darkness is dispelled. Well, that was a way that that the Jewish people tended to think about the word of God, that it was light. And so. The first chapter of John, we see John using these images of Jesus Christ being the word of God and also the light of God. And we see that very thing happening in this place. John 1, starting in verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was God in the, with God in the beginning through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made in him was life And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. But listen to these words like a melody that we're going to see revisited again in these passages. It says this in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or nor of a husband's decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John starts off his whole book saying, this is what the book is about. This book is about light shining in darkness. This book is about the word of God becoming flesh, moving into our world. But this book is about also how even when the light shines into the darkness, when the light comes to his own, that people sometimes love darkness more than they love light. And I want you to keep, keep that idea in mind as we look at the rest of this passage. You have Jesus standing up in the midst of this festival. I could imagine. Can you imagine how glorious that would be to see Jesus standing under these, these, these lamps of light. And against you know Glowing against the, the limestone. It would just be powerful. Probably be moved to tears. You would probably be just your heart would be burning within you. And yet there's some people in that room who are not... Feeling that the Pharisees are standing on the side doing their thing that they always do. The light is shining into the darkness and some people love darkness more than light. Verse 13 to chapter eight, the Pharisees challenged Jesus saying, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And your law is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true, and I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, "If you knew me, you would know my father also." He spoke these words while they were teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Next to politics in America, I think the and church uh, probably the thing that people are most cynical about would be the judicial system, right? We we see these things so often where you've got a guy that's a just a criminal. It's obvious. I mean there's there's all kinds of there may be DNA evidence, there may be blood on his hands, and yet you find many times there's a a, a defense attorney who finds some kind of technicality to get him off, right? And when we see this we're like, ah, oh, that's the worst, isn't it? Like, what, what is happening to justice? There's a, there's a term that we, we we throw about sometimes. That obeying the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. That's the Pharisees. And here they are again. Just, I, I want to remind you, last week, Penny spoke on the woman caught in adultery. and And that situation was, probably happened in this same area here, where Jesus is giving this thing just a, a little bit before. But... The Pharisees bring this woman half naked, throw her, throw her down at Jesus' feet and like, what, are you, what should we do with her? We caught her in the very act of adultery. Now, certainly the Pharisees were probably concerned about her because they, they were concerned about everybody who wasn't in their club. But the real motive was they were trying to trick Jesus, Right. They're trying to get him on a technicality. Let's find out how he's going to react to this woman. Is he going to obey the Old Testament law? Is he going to you know, side with her? And they get something that just they weren't even expecting. And they all walk away. They drop their stones. Jesus, in this same instance, he's just said, I'm the light of the world. And they start trying to find some technicality. Oh, well, your testimony doesn't count because you're the only one who speaks to yourself. Now, the reality is... He, what we find, in, even in the Gospel of John, is there's other witnesses that Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist, in the first chapter, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the guy that when I was baptizing people, when I baptized him, something special happened. I saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. Actually, in Matthew, you can find out a little bit more of that story, that, that God actually, the, God the Father actually says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased Listen to him. So we've got the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of the Father. We've got the testimony of of other people who he's healed, who've got a revelation of God. So the question is not whether Jesus has enough witnesses. The question is that they really don't. It's bad news for them if Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus' judgment is true and his words are true not because of their inherent persuasiveness but because of their origins. Jesus' words are true because they come from God. They come from his relationship with God. I, I don't know how many people heard this study. It, it came out, I think, a few months back, maybe last year. But there was a study on, on seeing, they were going to see if people could recognize uh the difference between a, a, a cheap glass of wine and, a, and an expensive glass of wine. And uh, for those of y'all that like to buy cheap wine, the, the news was good. <laughs> the news was really good because they found that only 53% of people could tell the difference between a cheap wine and, a, and an expensive wine. Which, you know, 53%, that's like flipping a coin. I mean, you're, you're almost, as, I mean, with the statistical errors and stuff, it's pretty much a 50-50. You can kind of just say, blindly pointed a bottle of wine. That's the good one, and, and you, you might hit it. Now, does this mean that there's no such thing as, as a good wine? No. It just means that most people can't tell the difference. They've actually found the same thing with coffee as well, and uh, uh, my wife would disagree. <laughs> Dina is a coffee snob i she 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 only started drinking coffee a few years ago, but I started her out on the good stuff and like you know i i I grew up like drinking you know truck stop coffee and and uh, she starts out like on the fresh ground starbucks and, and it's like she she's a snob, so if you ever have her over for coffee, just know that um <laughs> But does that mean there's no such thing, but no, no difference between just a low-grade, cheap coffee and, and a really nice, expensive bottle of wine? No, there is a difference. But they found that the way that people can tell the difference has to do with the expectations that they bring to it, and they're, they're, they're wanting to experience it. In other words, if you want to know what good wine is, you will eventually know what good wine is, because... You're, you're, you're looking to know that. I, I, I could, I'll use the, the analogy of jazz music. Has does, does anybody ever listened to jazz music before and you're like, wow, it just uh, doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I have. Uh, I remember back as a teenager, I, I was a musician and I wanted to start broadening my horizons a bit. So I started listening to some jazz and put on a little you know, John Coltrane. John Coltrane, man, it sounded like from another planet. I couldn't tell why people said that John Coltrane was good and and some people would say Kenny G wasn't. (laughs) I couldn't tell the difference. I now realize there's a great difference between John Coltrane and Kenny G. But part of the way that I came to realize that was that I love music and I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start liking jazz music. I can't tell what the difference is right now, but I know there's got to be a difference out there. People say there is, so I'm going to start listening to it. So I start listening to all kinds of stuff that wasn't even fun to listen to for me. It didn't make sense, but after a while, it started making sense. After a while, I started developing a taste for it. Now it's like I love jazz music. I've even played a little jazz music here and there or faked my way through it at least. There is a certain way that you can distinguish between what is is good and what is not so good that's based on the openness of your heart. It's based on your experiencing goodness over and over again. Jesus is telling these uh, Pharisees, he's saying, Look, you don't know me because you don't even know my father. You, you guys, you act like you're like the religious people who know it all, but the reality is you don't even know God. All this stuff you're doing all the time, debating about the scriptures and, and doing your little club things, you don't even know God. Because if you knew God, you would realize you got a really good glass of wine in front of you right now. And you're turning your nose up at it. I put a quote in uh, your outline from uh, New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright. He says, throughout the gospel of John, it's clear that Jesus had not basically come to judge the world or Israel or individuals. But it is also clear that the fact of his coming to bring rescue, salvation, life and hope would inevitably have the effect Of condemning those who didn't want any of those things. Those who were so steeped in evil that the coming of the light was bad news for them. Not good news. Wow. You can be in a place where the good news of Jesus is bad news for you. That's where the Pharisees were. I think part of what this gets at with the Pharisees is that I think it's really kind of a... a, It's kind of a picture of pride in the sense. I want to read something. I was reading this this morning. This is uh, from C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity. And he writes this. He says, now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. (laughs) Pride doesn't, it, it doesn't make you proud to have stuff, only more stuff than the other guy. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or of being good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would not be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest, once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. Ouch. See, I, I think what C.S. Lewis is hitting on is something that the, the Pharisees had. that The good news of Jesus Christ was not good news to them because Jesus was welcoming in all the riffraff. All the people that shouldn't get into the kingdom of God, all the ones that didn't have a religious bone in their body, the ones who didn't know the scriptures, the ones who didn't know how to pray in front of other people, the ones who just were a mess. The ones who thought they were not good enough for God. Jesus is welcoming them in. That's good news for them. That's bad news for the Pharisees. Because if anybody can get in. <laughs> what do we have? <laughs> Our special little place of prominence and prestige. If, if, if we let anybody into this club. It ain't a club anymore. Right? We got to have standards here. I mean, come on. Jesus was welcoming tax collectors in, prostitutes. I mean, keep in context what's going on here. Jesus has just had an adulterous woman a few verses before who's thrown down at his feet. These guys are just shaming her and humiliating her. And Jesus doesn't join in the shaming and humiliation. He just says, honey... Who's where are your accusers now? I've made them all go away. And you know what? I'm not condemning you either. Why don't we Why don't we try a stab at real life? to the Pharisees. Oh my gosh, that was that was scandalous. Not just because it was scand- It would have been it would have been scandalous to anybody to see Jesus doing that, but it was particularly scandalous because their club was threatened by what Jesus was doing. We can't be letting adulterous women and prostitutes and tax and fishermen, come on. Walking in the light i you know the, John writes about this quite a bit in uh some of the other letters that he wrote the, the the apostle John and uh walking in the light is really a matter of discipleship when jesus says if if anyone comes to me he'll he'll have the light of life he won't be in darkness anymore but but walking in the the light, you can tell that this that this these words of jesus they really were were key to to part of John's spiritual formation. It changed his life because we read in 1 John 1, verses 5 through 8. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. There's something about walking in the light of Jesus that reconciles you to other people. If we walk in the light of Jesus, we have fellowship with who? With one another. There's something about when we open our hearts to the grace of God that it it, it makes us more gracious to other people. Verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, this honestly, I think, was, was, it, it's the biggest problem of pride. I mean, really, when you get down to it, that's why pride is the cardinal sin of sins out there. Because the Pharisees, they didn't see any need for God. They were okay. We're doing this thing on our own. We're working our way to heaven. We don't need Jesus interfering with this stuff. They had pride at the core. And so they couldn't get in. I don't know if anybody in here has been through Alcoholics Anonymous or a 12-step program. But in a 12-step program, the first step is this. We admitted we were powerless over addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step. Now, here's something about the 12-step programs. You don't just get to pick a step, right? I think I'm going to start with step eight. That's kind of like my personality. I like that one. Uh, You don't get to do that. You have to start with step one. It's like do not pass go until you have, have step one. In other words, you're going to get nothing out of the other 12 steps if you don't realize that you got a problem, right? Have you ever seen somebody that got forced to go into rehab before? How did that work? I mean, until you realize that you got a problem, then you're not going to work it out. Actually, the, the words of, of AA, it's, it's very close to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? You know how it starts? It starts by re- relinquishing your, your own kingdom. It starts by saying, I need God. You know, when, when, when Jesus says the poor in spirit, you know what that, the, the literal translation would be? It would be like beggars, bums. Blessed are you destitute, spiritually poor people out there. You who realize you ain't got anything to bring to God. Blessed are you. Because once you realize that you ain't got anything to bring. (laughs) Once you realize that you're a mess. Once you admit your weakness, your failure, that that you're just broken. God can do something with that. Now you can start walking into the kingdom. But if you haven't figured that step out, forget the rest of it. Because it's all just going to be window dressing. It's all just going to be cleaning up the outside and never getting down to the heart. John goes on to this and In in 1 John 2, 9, he says this, Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister and lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because darkness has blinded them. Now, I, I shared a story here before, and so... If you've heard it, bear with me. But it was a powerful story from, from my, my years as a teenager. I, I, as a teenager, I wasn't following after Jesus. I wasn't involved in that. I was a photographer for our high school newspaper. And one day in Midland, Texas, now this may have been common in Louisiana, I don't know, but it wasn't common in Midland. The, the Ku Klux Klan was coming to town to do a rally out at a park. And that was like, nobody had ever heard anything like that happening. And so I got sent out there to take pictures of it and stuff. And, and what I found was just, it just blew me away. I can't say in church the things that these people were holding up on signs. But they were telling people, look out, because the Texas clan is getting bigger. And they were basically saying, anybody that wasn't white, uh, look out. I mean, their, their, their rhetoric was, was filled with hate in malice and judgment, but you know what was particularly perverse? They were playing worship songs on their PA system. I mean, I wasn't following God at time, but at that time, but I remembered hearing these songs when I was in church as a kid, and they're blasting them over the PA system. Even though I wasn't following Jesus, I knew something didn't smell right. (laughs) That didn't work together. That's what John says, that that anybody who says that they have the light, just because you put the term Christian on you, just because you go to a church, just because you read your Bible or attend a, a Beth Moore small group or something like that, just because you watch Joel Osteen doesn't mean you're a Christian. If, if you have hatred in your heart towards other people, it, that kind of cancels it out. You can say you're walking in the light. But it's just words. It's kind of like the people that go around to, to these funerals of service people and they'll hold up signs, you know, God hates America. God hates this group. God hates that group. And these are kind of extreme, e- extreme cases. But let me ask you this question. Do you hate Muslims? Do you hate people of another political party? You don't have to answer. I'm not looking for people to nod their heads right now. (laughs) Man, there was a great fight that started at church today. (laughs) This guy hated that guy and they were sitting next to each other. It was just... (laughs) I mean, really, when it gets down to it, do, do we allow do we allow hate in our hearts of other people, whether it's people of different sexual orientation, different religions, different political persuasions than ours. When we start moving down that road, we move into this kind of tribal centric thing that the that the, the Pharisees had. God is on our side. We've got the the high moral ground. But then you see God show up. And who's God loving? Everybody that's not allowed in your club. (laughs) It doesn't matter what kind of religious language we put on top of our hate. If we allow that stuff in our heart. We're not walking in the light. We're walking in darkness. and, And here's the thing about hate. Here's the thing about that. Many times we can be talking to a coworker at the at the uh, water cooler or whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any co-workers around my water cooler over here. <laughs> I have to invite people over to talk around the water cooler. But sometimes I think we confuse passion with life. You know what I'm saying? It, it's easy to be opinionated, and passionate about our opinions. And sometimes that feels like life, doesn't it? I, I told them how I felt about them Muslim fundamentalists, man. And you, you get stirred up and you start talking about it. You listen to stuff on the, on the radio and it starts even stirring you up. And you feel kind of alive. But that's not life. That's not life. That's counterfeit life. True life is walking in the light. <laughs> and, and when you're walking in the light, you realize, like, I, I, I got nothing to bring God. I am an absolute broken mess. And God still loves me. God still extends grace to me. He still welcomes me in. When I begin to realize that, when I, when I actually, you know, because it's easy to deceive ourselves sometimes and thinking we're better than other people. It's easy. But if I take a little bit more objective view at my life, I realize, man, I mean, even, even some of my best attempts at righteousness, they got so much pride on the inside. It, 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 and even in all that, Jesus still loves me. He still welcomes me. And if I, can, if I can take my hands off and welcome Jesus and believe the good news that he receives me and extends grace to me, you know what that begins to do? It begins to change the way that I look at other people. Because how can I point my finger at somebody else who's, who's in some sin or disagrees with me politically or a different religion? How can I point my finger at someone else when I'm only here because I'm a lucky bum? <laughs> like, I, I didn't get in because I was so smart or so good at reading the Bible or so good at quoting Bible verses. I didn't get in because of that. I got in just because of Jesus. And when we let that sink down into our hearts, when we truly open up our hearts to that, it changes us. As John says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, there's two things that get in the way of this, and I think they're really both sides of the same coin. One is pride. I've already talked about that. The other is Shame. And really, both of these things, they reject the grace of God. One rejects the ge- grace of God saying, oh, I, I don't need God. I'm doing just all right on my own. Thank you very much. But shame, shame rejects the grace of God for other reasons. I, God, he wouldn't want me. I'm damaged goods. How could, how could, he, how could he take me in? See, shame is, is, is the other side of it. It still rejects the grace of God. But it's saying, God, God couldn't want me. I, 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 you know, And, and I, I struggle with shame a lot in my journey. There's times where I just, uh, I've shared this before, where I, I just feel like I'm going to run away from God for a while because I just don't feel like He wants anything to do with me because I hate myself. I hate what I'm doing. I hate that I keep struggling. What's the use? But see, that's no better than, than pride against God is, the ultimate, because it still keeps you from the grace of God. This morning, I just want us to, to return again and sing a song one more time together this morning. That That song that we sang in worship, I'll probably just do it on the acoustic guitar, guys. I told the band they might come up and jam. But I just want us to reflect on this. These words in this song. It's his kindness that brings us to repentance. You know, we don't change because people nag us. We don't change because people tell us we're doing wrong all the time. It's the very grace of God, the very extensions of God that that changes us. I can see that 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 adulterous woman That was thrown down at the feet of Jesus. I bet you. She was never the same again. Why? Because because Jesus beat her over the head with the Bible. Told her to get in line. Told her to try harder. Told her to to, to pray and bind it up. and, and, And do all these things more. No. Because she encountered the loving grace of God. The God who created the whole universe. When he has something to say. About her sinful situation. What does he say? He says it with a hug. He welcomes her in. Can you believe that this morning? Can we let that begin to, can, can we be crazy enough to, to really believe that this morning? Can we be crazy enough to receive that into our hearts and welcome the grace of God? And just say, God, look, maybe I'm here today and I am I am ashamed of where I'm at. I, I don't even know why you'd want me, but I'll, please help me believe it. Or maybe, God, I've been looking down my nose at other people thinking that I've got it all together. But, God, I don't want to be a hate-filled person anymore. Can I give you what's inside? Can I at least ask for your grace to let go of it? And, and I, I tell you this morning, I believe that the kindness of God is here. The Spirit of God is here to turn your hearts. Even if you don't think your heart can be turned today. So I just want us to close just in a time of worship. Let's just get quiet before the Lord.